welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host, and today we have sleep consultant Rachel Shepard Ota here to chat with us. Rachel has a bachelor's and master's in elementary and special education, but when her son was born, she became obsessed with baby sleep, and through her own baby sleep journey, she discovered her new passion. She then decided to pivot her entire career to helping other moms thrive. Today, we will be chatting about how we as parents can ditch the stress and pressure around baby sleep and cover evidence-based, intuitive, and respectful baby sleep tips. We are so excited to learn more, so let's welcome Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us today and being our guest on our podcast, Chick Chat. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, as are we, because you have really blown us away with all of your stuff. And for our listeners who don't know about you, we want to know, well, let's learn about you first. Like, what is your background? What led you to where you are today? Like, give us a peek into your your history. Yeah, so I actually have a background in education. I was a teacher for students with special needs for about nine years. While I was actually on maternity leave with my second child, my daughter, I kind of just decided to make this career change. I had been researching sleep when I was pregnant with her because my first time around, it was so, so brutal, as I'm sure it is for many first-time parents navigating infant sleep for the first time. And so I just really wanted to prepare myself more for the second time around. So while I was pregnant with her, I did so much research and I ended up finding this really cool certification program called Isla Grace. And she was offering a really comprehensive certification in infant sleep called Baby Led Sleep and Wellbeing. So I decided to sign up to be certified instead of just like taking the course like a normal parent. And I was like, wait, maybe I could actually learn a lot, but also turn this into kind of like a side hustle and like take clients during school breaks or the summers or whatever, you know, teachers were always trying to find any extra income. And then once I was on maternity leave with my daughter, it was March of 2020. So I was like, okay, I don't necessarily want to go back to teaching and doing the virtual learning thing. Like that seems really scary. And maybe I can just kind of dive headfirst into this sleep thing. And so that's what I did. And yeah, it's kind of just taken off from there. Yeah, it really has. We've loved all the information that you've been sharing with parents. And that's so cool to hear your history and how you got to where you are today. And as you were stating, sleep is such a stressful topic for parents, especially first-time parents, but I think any parent when you have a baby. What are the biggest challenges that you see when it comes to baby sleep? Honestly, expectations of the parents is the hardest thing. The hardest thing about baby sleep isn't really anything to do with the baby. Yes, it's hard because yes, most babies do wake up a lot in the first year or two. And that's hard. It's really hard for us to deal with, especially when you might have all the other children to take care of as well, or you have to get back to work really soon after having your baby, or you're a single parent. There are so many other things that could make it even harder, right? But I do find that once parents kind of learn a little bit more about what's normal and learn how to kind of cope with that, the stress and anxiety really does melt away and it becomes much more manageable when they're not constantly trying to figure out what's wrong or constantly trying to fix something that's not broken. And so I think 
one of my main missions has always just to been to educate parents about what actually is normal and what actually is okay and teaching them how to look out for red flags if there is maybe something going on with their baby that's causing really disturbed sleep. But for the most part, most babies are sleeping the way that they're meant to. And it's not them doing anything wrong. It's not us doing anything wrong. It's just these crazy expectations that we have that we're going to bring baby home. We'll have a rough few weeks at first, and then they'll start sleeping through the night when they're about six weeks old. And that very rarely happens. And if that has happened to you, you are so lucky and I'm so jealous, but it's just not the case (laughs) for most of us. Amen to that. So I'm curious then with the families that you work with, are you really just, it's not even quote unquote sleep training the child. It's more of like working on the parent, right? Totally. Yeah. We actually have, I have a team of consultants with me now and we have a couple of service options that are called the new parent handholding call where we literally just like hold your hand and tell you everything's going to be okay and help you set up for some realistic expectations and coping strategies. And then we also have another call called the confidence call, which is really just for parents who need to know like, am I doing this right? Is this okay? And most of the time we're like, yes, this is absolutely fine. This is normal. You're doing great. Here are some other things you can try. And yeah, we don't sleep train. We definitely do want to empower parents with tools that they can use to optimize sleep and to get, of course, as much sleep as they possibly can and to help their babies get that rest that they need. But yeah, like you said, a lot of it is just educating the parents and helping them find ways to kind of cope and to make it through those first several months that can be really tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how you said this, we don't really sleep train because that's exactly how I explain you to any of my clients or friends. I'm like, she's the baby sleep trainer that doesn't sleep train. It's really, it's really fascinating. Like she really helps parents with sleep, but she's not sleep training. It's confusing, but check her out. I know. I know. I'm always like, people always call me like an anti-sleep trainer because sleep training really has become so mainstream that it's like anybody who doesn't do that is seen as like the oddball or the weirdo. And my account is pretty large now, but I'm still nowhere near as big as some of those big sleep training Instagram accounts and and businesses and stuff. And that's fine. I totally can see why there's a place for parents who need or want to sleep train. And I discuss this on my page all the time, how I sleep trained my first baby too, because I just thought you had to, like my pediatrician told me to do it. My mom told me she did it with me. Like I read all the books and they all said sleep training is necessary. So I did it. And I was left feeling so isolated and like such a failure when I was a new mom because sleep training did not work for my baby at all. Like we tried so many things and it never worked. And so that was another, you know, reason that when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was researching other options because I was like, oh gosh, we cannot do that again. But I also don't want to be sleep deprived for the next five years. So like, what do we do? What's something in the middle that we can try? So yeah, so I do try to to provide a lot of that kind of education and information to parents and to just let them know, like, you don't have to sleep train. I know everybody says you have to do it, but you don't have to do it. I promise. That is so cool that you stumbled upon this. I just really love your attachment first approach. It's so unique and fresh and just a completely new perspective that I think is just been necessary for so long. So parents know that there's another option because not like you were saying, like for some parents, 
sleep training is totally works for them. Great. But then if that's not for you, it's great to know that there are other options that can also help you get sleep. So that's why I just think that's so cool. So how did you come to use this method of like the attachment first approach? And why do you think this is beneficial? Yeah. So it actually wasn't something that I had on my radar before at all. It was really just that I stumbled upon this great certification program and I've since branched out into others that are in that kind of similar world. So the first certification I did was very, very heavy on attachment research. We had lots of attachment experts and therapists and doctors and things like that come in and, and train us. And so that was just kind of put in the forefront of my mind from the very beginning. And attachment is complex. So I don't want to ever insinuate that like my way is the only way to have a secure attachment with your child and anyone who sleep trains won't. Like it's definitely not that at all. But I do really value the parent-child relationship. And the other part of it is that when we're thinking about sleep training methods or behavioral methods or parenting in general, I always want that relationship to come first between parent and child because nothing else is more important than that. And so if you start to go down a path where you feel like that is being threatened, you can stop and you can try to to change course and to do something different. And so, yeah, it, it start, really just started with that first certification program. And then the second one that I did wasn't so heavy on the attachment piece, but was very holistic as far as being really evidence-based and really kind of debunking a lot of these older behaviorist type of ideas that most of society currently still has about sleep training. And so that really just opened my eyes to kind of the science and research side of things and looking at the child and their sleep as a holistic picture, right? So it's attachment, but it's also their health. It's also how they're feeding. It's how they're developing, where they are in their development based on their age. It's so many different pieces of the puzzle. And I think a lot of times sleep gets dumbed down to, oh, well, it's just about wake windows. (laughs) And if you just get your wake windows right, everything will be perfect. And it's really so much deeper than that, but it's also so much more simple than that is that our babies don't want to be away from us and that's why they don't want to sleep in a crib. So like, I think that it's really important for parents to know that it doesn't have to be so complicated. There's nothing wrong with our babies for wanting to be close to us when they sleep. It's just kind of how they're designed. So refreshing, Rachel. Thank you for that. And I want to know in your experience as a mom, what lessons did you learn when it comes to baby sleep? Oh my gosh, I could go on and on about this. I think (laughs) one of the biggest things, of course, when you have a second child is that you realize how different two kids can be. So what works for one might not work for the next one. What one kid did, the next kid might not do at the same age or at all. So I talked before about expectations. One thing I learned was just to remove all expectations because that is just a recipe for disappointment. And I've also really tried to not compare my kids, even though it's super hard to not compare them, especially when the second one is a little trickier than the first one was. So those are definitely the two biggest things that I've learned is just to kind of work with the child that you have in front of you and and let go of all those expectations about how you think things should be going because it's just a much more enjoyable journey when you can just kind of let that all go and just tune in to the kid that you have and support them in the way that they need. Yeah. And I would think also just releasing a lot of pressure on yourself. Like, okay, this is this is what I need to be doing. This is how it has to go. And 
if you just let that go, like, oh man, that must be almost just like that weight lifting off. So freeing. I can't even tell you. Like I look back at my baby sleep trackers and journals and like old text messages and old emails and stuff about sleep. And I mean, we had hired so many different sleep consultants and bought so many different programs with my son. Like I have a treasure trove in my email with my daughter. We just didn't do any of that. And it's been so much more enjoyable to parent her in the first couple of years, even though technically her sleep is is way worse than my son's was. He was already sleeping through the night by a year. She's two and she just started doing it. And you would think that I'd be so much more exhausted and angry <laughs> about things this time. But like, I just made my peace with it. And it's when we are new parents or have little ones, our brain gets so focused on like, I'm never going to sleep again. This is how it's going to be forever. And it's just not true. Like kids are all going to figure it out eventually, unless there's some kind of sleep disorder or something else going on that requires deeper investigation. Like all babies and toddlers are going to sleep independently through the night at some point. So even if you do absolutely nothing, and then if you add on all of the little things that you can do to optimize, like giving them a nice sleep environment, a calming routine, lots of connection time, all those little things that you can do, like it's going to happen. So I just wish I could go back to myself as a first time mom and be like, you need to chill. (laughs) He's going to do it. Don't worry. Oh, I love that. Oh, and and now I'm curious, what after doing that with your son and versus your experience with your daughter, what is your your opinion on traditional sleep training? Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> All the time. Tell me. I will Spill. say I will say I don't have any opinions that are positive, and that's really solely just my opinion and you know, it's an informed opinion. It's based on my own personal experience, it's based on a lot of research, it's based on talking to many, many families. My consultant team and I have worked with thousands of families collectively. And I would estimate 70 to 80% of them have tried sleep training already and they're still having to come to us. So like, what does that tell you? Right. I think a lot of sleep training methods right now are just very based in old school behaviorism and the research just really doesn't support that those are the best ways to teach babies anything. Right. So Mm -hmm. there are definitely some babies that are really chill, really easygoing in temperament. They might cry for a few minutes the first night or two, and then they're sleep trained and they start sleeping through the night. And that might be wonderful. That might be the best choice that that family could have made, right? Can't say I wouldn't sign up for that if I knew it's how it would go. (laughs) But then, you know, you do have these other babies that aren't talked about as often where there's hours of crying and the parents are incredibly stressed and anxious about it. And it's just a really traumatic thing for the whole family. And then of course there's variations in between both of those experiences, right? So I think the main problem that I have with traditional sleep training is that it's sold as this magical solution and this thing that you have to do, you have to do it to give your child this gift of good sleep. You have to do it to save your marriage. There's so much pressure put on these little babies to start sleeping through the night to solve all of our problems. And I just don't think that that's fair. It's not developmentally appropriate. And research shows that by age two, there is absolutely no difference in sleep trained versus non-sleep trained kids. So when they say, oh, you need to sleep train now so that you don't have bad habits when they're toddlers, like that is just not supported in any of the research. So yeah, I don't have a lot of opinions about it that are positive. But again, like I said, I know that there are so many parents who feel like they have to do it 
where they did do it and it was the best choice they could have made. And that's absolutely fine. My goal is just to speak to the parents on the other side that don't want to do it or did it and it didn't work or just are not feeling great about it and to just help them know that they don't have to go through with it. Thank you for sharing all of this because this is such a new and I think refreshing conversation to have. Not that I I'm I sleep train my kids. If I had found you and had learned that there's another way to do things, I think that this would be something that I would be interested in doing yeah. and learning more about. And and that's what why we were so excited to chat with you is because all we're wanting to do is make sure that parents know all of their options so they can make the right choice for them and their baby. And so it's just really cool hearing, you know, your experience, your research, your practice and how there is another way. And Rachel, most of your recommendations, as you're saying, and advice are based on science and intuition. Can you elaborate on some of these evidence-based practices for us? Yeah. So one of the things that I do try and and weave into my content and my courses and all of that is this balance, like you just said, of science plus intuition. So there are studies, of course, about sleep and sleep training in young babies and, and in toddlers, but unfortunately there's not a lot of it. And a lot of it is is really flawed research. A lot of it is just data that is missing and that we'll, we'll actually never have because they're never going to design a quality study to show the difference in sleep trained versus unsleep trained babies because it would be unethical to put babies through stress for a study, right? So it's just never going to happen where we have that quality data that we're looking for. So what I like to do instead is look at the data that we do have about what normal baby sleep looks like throughout the world. So what percentage of babies are actually sleeping through the night at six months or 12 months? What percentage of kids are having sleep problems at age two, whether they were sleep trained or not? And then not only looking at the sleep training research, because it is very limited, but looking at the now decades of data we have on the importance of responsive caregiving and responsive caregiving doesn't necessarily stop in the evening. So when we're responding to our babies at night, when we're offering feedings at night, when we're comforting our babies at night, how does that help shape the brain? And I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle that has been missing from the conversation for a long time. And beyond that, what does it do to our intuition when we are going through sleep training and something doesn't feel right to us and we really want to respond to our baby and we don't because it's not following the plan? And that's something that I personally remember going through a lot when we were going through sleep training. My son would be crying. He would still be crying for 20 more minutes. My husband would be texting me, what do I do? (laughs) And now it seems so clear to me looking back, like your kid's crying in the crib for 20 minutes. Just go get him. Go pick him up. But at the time we were like, well, I don't know. How long has he been in the crib? What's the wake window like? Like what time is his next nap going to be? It was just like we had no trust in ourselves at all when we were going through that process. And it really kind of affected the way that we parented for that first year. And that's really unfortunate. And so, yes, I do believe in research. I believe in in science. And I like to make all of my content very much evidence-based so that parents can trust that they're getting information that is backed up. But that being said, no research is going to be perfect on this topic. So I also want parents to just be really encouraged that like, Even if there's not a study to back this up, if it feels right to go pick up your baby, just go pick up your baby and follow that intuition and follow that mom gut that you have because it's not going to steer you wrong. 
I love how you brought in your husband. How does your husband feel about this new technique? Because I know a lot of partners can sometimes be like, well, just let them cry. Just let them cry. Like, don't worry about it. And moms are like, but but I need to get my baby. And partners sometimes cannot be, sometimes they just don't have that same gut feeling to react a certain way. What are your thoughts on that? How, how has your husband been? And what are your thoughts on other partners? Yeah, I hear this come up so, so much. I have a webinar planned for the end of June all about how to talk with your partner about this and how to come to a conclusion that you can both be on the same page about because it is such a hot button topic between couples. My husband is actually the softy in our relationship. So back when we were sleep training, he was absolutely miserable. He hated every second of it. And I was like this type A organized teacher that was going to get my baby on a schedule and Yeah. So we were just like on very different pages and it caused so many arguments between us, which just of course adds to the stress that you're already under being new parents together. Right. So yeah, my situation I think was a little bit unique because he was the one that just always wanted to stop. And he was like, this is not worth it. We don't need to do this. He's totally fine the way he is. And so I'm very grateful that he was able to kind of pull me out of it. And now with our daughter, like she was in bed with us for a lot of nights in the first couple of years and he was always totally fine with it and totally supportive and he wouldn't change a thing about the way that we've done things with her. I'm very, very lucky that he's kind of always taken my lead. (laughs) Whether we sleep trained or didn't sleep trained, he was like, yep, you get to call it because you're the one breastfeeding and you're the one that has all this knowledge now. So yeah, I've been lucky, but he would definitely say that he way preferred the process the second time around compared with the first. And I love how you mentioned that you had your daughter in bed with you because Mm -hmm. that is a huge no-no when it comes to other sleep trainers. Like you, you would think that I need to go to jail if I, if I I even talk about that. I wouldn't even post on TikTok. Like I learned the hard way that TikTok is not the place for me. It is like, that is bed sharing and co-sleeping is one thing on social media, especially that is so polarizing and just... Mm -hmm. There is so much mom shaming around it from both sides. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think you have to bed share with your baby to have a secure attachment. Like, not all babies need that at all. But also, some parents have babies that will not sleep unless they are being touched. Like, they just will not. And so, what are you supposed to tell those parents? Like, you just don't get to sleep? No. Like, you have to give them the tools to do it as safely as possible to mitigate all of the possible risks that can come with bed sharing if it's done improperly. And you need to give them support. And I I just have no tolerance for, for that argument whatsoever. It's like so ridiculous. It's such a cultural norm in so many other places that I think in America, we've forgotten that like cribs were not always a thing. But yeah, it's it's definitely not for everybody. And I I would never make a blanket statement that bed sharing is something everybody should or could do. But for us, like when my daughter was a newborn, she was a pretty good sleeper. And then things kind of hit the fan when she got a little bit older. And so she did spend parts of the night or the very early morning in our bed because that's how we got the most sleep. And that's just the way it is. (laughs) And she doesn't anymore. So she's two and she's not still in our bed and she's not going to still be in our bed when she goes to college. So I think everybody's going to be just fine. 
And I think that's the big concern of people. They think, oh, well, then they're never going to leave your bed. And I'm like, well, and I like to say this, and this is for our listeners out there. My kids never slept in our bed. That was actually a rule of ours. Like our bed is our space. I don't want my, our kids in our bed. And that was kind of for us. But I, as a postpartum doula who has helped hundreds of families have worked with plenty of moms and dads who their baby literally will not sleep unless they are touching them. And so I don't judge or think, oh, there's only one way to do this. I just think, I just thought that was so refreshing on your page that as long as you're doing it safely, then it can be okay. But please do your research and understand like, I think it's like this, the simple seven or whatever. Yeah. The safe sleep seven. Yes. To follow when doing that. So I appreciate you bringing this up because I think it's just a topic that sleep consultants don't want to touch. No, they don't want to touch it because there's this huge stigma around how dangerous it is because there's so much misinformation on the data on bed sharing and and SIDS and all of that kind of stuff, which is like a whole nother can of worms. But yeah, so they don't want to touch it. And I'm over here like, yeah, but parents are doing it anyway. Anyway. We know from research that most parents will do it at some point, whether they planned on it or not, because it's basic survival. Sometimes you have to, or you're not going to sleep. So I would rather tell parents, if you're going to do it, these are the things that you should be doing to make sure that you're as safe as possible. Please don't hold your baby on a chair and sleep with them all night on a chair or on a sofa, because that is exponentially more unsafe So here's how you should do it. Here's what you need to do if you're going to decide to do that. And at the end of the day, do what you want. But I just can't sit by and pretend that it's not happening and that it doesn't exist because that's how tragedies do happen. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're right. I feel like I know a lot of parents who deny when uh, they're asked at the Mm -hmm. pediatrician's office, Mm -hmm. uh, is the baby sleeping in the crib? Oh, yes. (laughs) Of course they are all night long. I don't breastfeed anymore. They're just totally independent little babies. Yeah. I hear that every single day, every single day that people have to lie to their pediatricians about it or that before they had a baby, they said, never, like my bed is just for me and my husband. We need to have space to be intimate. Our baby's going to be in their own room from day one. Like, and I get that when you're a new parent, you have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> but then they they have this little baby and the baby has a different idea. And some babies really, really, really need that closeness for whatever reason. I mean, there's so many reasons that that a baby would need to be held or, or just close by. And then what are you supposed to do, right? And that, I think that's probably why so many people turn to, to sleep training and to cry it out is because they don't know what else to do. And they have never even considered co-sleeping or bed sharing because of all the stigma that's out there. Or, you know, they decide that it's just not for them and that's fine too. But yeah, it's a really hot button topic, like you said. Uh, But thank you for touching on it with us because this is just so enlightening and cool and I think will be helpful for our listeners. And Rachel, you know, all babies and families like we're talking about, they have different needs. And But how do you recommend parents find the right approach for their family when it comes to baby sleep? Yeah. I mean, I first think you touched on this earlier that whether you're going to sleep train or not, just having information about all the different ideologies and methods that are out there is so important. And that's why I'm so happy that my account has grown and that others like mine are growing because when I was a new parent, I didn't know that there was any other option. Like I said, I thought we had to sleep train. I thought that's what everybody just did. Everyone in my social circle was doing it. All the books I read talked about it. Doctors recommended it. Like it was just everywhere. And I just 
wish that I had had someone who told me like, you don't have to do this. Like it's, it's going to be fine. You can do these things to try and make things better, try and make things more sustainable. But for the most part, your baby is already doing fine. My son was only waking up like once or twice a night to feed at six months old. Like that was so normal and so fine. And I thought I had to fix it. Yeah. I think that just kind of figuring out what all the options are is a great first step. And then if you do have a partner, getting on the same page as them is another really important step because you really need that support. No matter which approach you're going to take, being on the same page is really, really helpful. And I can speak from experience on that one. And then the last thing is just where are your values and where are you in your life right now? Like, is what is currently happening sustainable for you? Are you actually okay with it, but you feel outside pressure to change things or to make things better? I hear that all the time that moms are like, yeah, I'm still co-sleeping babies in my room, breastfeeds a couple times a night. I don't really mind, but my sister-in-law says he should be sleeping through the night by now. So like, what should I do? Should I sleep train? And I'm like, well, it actually sounds like you're fine with how things are. So I would just keep going with that. And then when you feel like you're not fine with that anymore, then we can talk about making a change. And that's when, you know, a consultant that does things with our more holistic approach would work with you on your baby's daytime schedule, their nutrition, all of that kind of stuff to kind of put together the puzzle of, okay, is this normal? Is this what we can expect developmentally right now? Or are there a few things we can try to make things even better? And so, yeah, I would first just really want parents to get educated on all the options, to get on the same page with their partner, and then finally to take stock of what's working and what's what's not. Very helpful. And Rachel, you talk about, you know, the sleep obsession, which I think is so relatable to a new mom. What tips do you have for a mom in this obsession phase? Like how can they relax and just be more confident? Yeah. I see this as such a huge problem in mostly just our society. (laughs) I have a very global audience. I have followers that are from everywhere. And I hear them all the time tell me in my DMs, like, you Americans really are stressed out. Like, you guys need to calm down because they're not like this anywhere else. Like, they just kind of roll with it. They know that, like, a baby's a baby and they're going to sleep sometimes when we want them to sleep and sometimes they're not. And, you know, the first couple of years are just about kind of figuring it out and, and doing the best we can. One thing that I usually do recommend is for parents to delete those sleep tracker apps because I do see those causing a lot of anxiety. Baby sleep is so variable and there's just no way that an app is going to be able to tell you, you know, how much your baby should be sleeping for a certain nap or how long they should be awake. Like you are the best one to kind of learn that yourself and learn to read your baby's cues. And those apps really just kind of take away that opportunity for us to learn our baby. So that would be my first thing. The next thing would be stop comparing, stop comparing your baby to your sister-in-law's baby or your best friend's baby. Just stop comparing. Babies are so, so different. If you look up the National Sleep Foundation sleep total for babies, they have this chart. You can Google it and it'll tell you for each age, what is an appropriate amount of sleep per 24 hours. So that includes naps and overnight. For young babies, the difference from one baby to another could be seven or eight hours. So that means that one baby might sleep for 11 hours in 24, and that's perfectly fine and healthy for them. Another baby might sleep for like 18 hours, and that's totally normal and perfect for them. So if you're comparing those two babies, how can you? There's just no way that you can compare them. And the one that has 
less of a sleep total need per 24 hours, that parent is going to feel like such a failure or like they're depriving their baby of sleep, but it's just not the case. So I would go with more evidence-based things like that, like looking at those sleep totals per 24 hours and what, you know, just making sure your baby is falling in that healthy range and deleting the apps, stopping comparing. And the last thing is really just kind of tapping into that intuition, like we said again, and is your baby content? Are they growing well? Are they eating well? Like, do they seem okay? And if the answer is yes, then they're probably getting the sleep that they need. Babies' brains are pretty good at taking the sleep that they need. And it's really, really, really rare for a baby to actually be clinically sleep deprived. So I know that parents worry so much if their baby's awake for too long or doesn't seem to be sleeping enough. And of course, if you have real concerns like that, talk with your doctor. But for the most part, it's incredibly rare for us to see that unless there's like an actual sleep disorder or something happening. Super good to know. Yeah. So I would really just let it go as much as you possibly can and and know that the first year is kind of, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but I'm sure you can guess what I'm going to say. And sometimes there's just not that much that we can do about it. And so kind of releasing that control and that need that we have to control our baby's sleep is really important. And if you find that it's really hard for you to let go of this obsession and that you're constantly anxious about your baby's sleep, it's really, really worth talking to someone in in your life that can help you get some help with a mental health professional. It's a really, really big sign of postpartum anxiety to be that obsessed with how your baby is sleeping. And it was for me and it was undiagnosed. I had no idea that that's what it was with my first, but yeah, it can be a really big warning sign that you're dealing with some postpartum depression or anxiety. So I would definitely, definitely try and reach out for some help. Postpartum.net is a really great free resource that can help connect you with local support. So yes, yes. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your personal story about that, because I think so many new moms can absolutely relate and also go undiagnosed because they think that this is just normal and it doesn't have to be normal. Yeah. I think a lot of us just have no idea what to expect when we're postpartum. And um, in a way, it's it's good that, you know, mental health is becoming destigmatized and that postpartum depression and anxiety are becoming a little bit more normalized and more talked about. I think that's a great thing to reduce some of that shame. But it also kind of does the opposite where it makes us think it's just normal and we can just get through it and, and it's fine. It happens to everyone, which is just not the case. No, 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 no. If anyone comes to our site or podcast or anything and think, oh, that's normal. So many people experience it. It's just saying that's common. It's not normal. There is a difference between those words. It's common, but you should still seek treatment. You should still seek support and help or medication or whatever it is. So yeah, that is, that's, yeah. Thank you for, for pointing that out because that's something that people need to know the difference for sure. And Rachel, how does, I'd like for you to explain, like how does infant brain development and attachment play a part in how our babies learn to sleep? Yeah. So for the first year or so, our babies are attaching to us through the senses. They have really no other way to do it because they're not very communicative yet, except through their cries and their bids to get our attention, right? So they are going to do anything they can to be within proximity to us and to be able to sense us. So they want to always be able to see us. (laughs) They want to always be able to smell us. If you're breastfeeding, 
One way that they connect with us is through breastfeeding. They want to be able to hear your voice and hear your singing and all of that stuff. So in the first year, that's really what's happening. And that's why you'll notice so many young babies have such a hard time being away from us. And then, you know, as baby grows, they go through other stages of attachment, things that that they go through where they really want to be like the same as their parents. They start copying us. They start wanting to do things the same way we do. And so as they kind of spiral through these stages of attachment and, and things like that, they are more able to become separate. They're more able to become independent. But before they can do that, they need to be able to rest in that dependence on us. They need to be able to take that for granted. They should never have to seek out connection with us. It should just be given without them needing to ask for it. And that's really what builds that sense of security. And once your child has a sense of security and safety, especially around sleep time, they're able to drift off to sleep on their own and stay asleep because they feel secure, they feel safe. And so one of the things that I I like to work with new parents on is how can we just make sleep like a really enjoyable and connecting experience? So instead of pushing our four-month-old or our six-month-old away from us, how can we bring them closer so that they can feel us and that they can feel like sleep is a safe place to go? And sleep is not something that just stresses mom out or stresses dad out, or sleep is something that we're going to fight about every single day. And really just kind of taking that out of it. There's so many different brain things that are happening in the first few months. There's also no object permanence in the first several months of life. So we put our baby down. They freak out when we leave the room because they don't know that we still exist. (laughs) So from a baby's perspective, like, of course, they're not rationalizing this in their brain and saying like, oh my gosh, my mom is disappeared forever. They just have this sense of, oh my gosh, I'm alone and this is an emergency and I'm not safe. And these big alarm bells go off in their brains. And so that's why a lot of new parents are so confused because they don't know all of this stuff, right? This isn't common knowledge necessarily. So a lot of new parents freak out saying, oh my God, like I can't even put my baby down and leave the room for one second. They just won't let me be away from them ever. And I, I know that that is so hard and so exhausting. And one thing that I like to remind people is we're not meant to do this alone, right? So in so many other cultures and throughout history, we have raised babies in multi-generational families or villages, and there have always been people around to help take care of our baby so that we could set them down or could give them to somebody else and go get a break or go work or do whatever we had to do. And now most moms in this country are raising their baby by themselves. And so it does feel so overwhelming and so hard and so exhausting when you have this little baby attached to you all day long because they won't let you put them down. And it leads to this feeling of like, oh my God, like why didn't anybody tell me that this was going to be this hard? What is wrong with my baby? Why can't I just put them down? And it's not you. It's the way that this society has now been designed, right? So I just like to remind parents too that like, it's feeling hard because it is really hard and it's not supposed to be this hard. So it's, it's not you and it's not your baby. And there are those babies that are of course very chill and temperament and you can put them down and walk away and they can sleep by themselves really early. Like those babies definitely exist too. I just want to really drive home the fact that those babies are often the exception and not the norm. So if you don't have one of those unicorn babies, like you didn't do anything wrong, it's completely normal for them to want to be close to us just for basic survival. It's just the way that we've evolved. 
Thank you for that. I now want to ask you about what you would tell a working mom, because all of this, I could maybe sense like, okay, but I'm a working mom and I have to go back to my work in six weeks, 12 mm-hmm. weeks, whatever. I, this sounds lovely, but how can I do this, but also continue with my career? Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is such a good question. And I can so vividly remember when my son was four months old and it was the night before I went back to work and I was just sobbing because I had those same fears and I didn't know how he would ever get by without me because he was so attached to me all the time. And yeah, so for working parents, I mean, one thing that I would always recommend is whoever's going to be caretaking your baby while you're at work, just try and do your best to forge that really sweet connection as early as you can. So whether that's going to be your partner for a while or a family member or a daycare provider, anything that you can do to make your baby and yourself feel really comfortable with that person is going to put both of you at ease. And the more at ease you are about the caregiver you're handing your baby off to, the more they're going to pick up on that. So our babies have mirror neurons and they are their stress response is directly linked with our stress response. So if we hand our baby off and they don't feel like we're confident with this person (laughs) that they're getting handed to, they are going to be really alarmed by that. So as much as we can have these like calm, positive, loving, warm feelings toward the new caregiver, the easier the transition will be for your baby and your baby will be just fine. I actually have a whole workshop dedicated to this. It's a starting childcare workshop because I know so many moms And dads come to me and they say like, oh my gosh, my baby has only ever contact napped. Like I have to go back to work. What are they going to do? How are they going to do it? And so I kind of take you through all the steps in that workshop to, you know, find the perfect person and to create that great relationship and then how to actually make the change when you do go back to work. Because I know it's a really huge transition. It really is. Thank you for that. That is, that's super helpful. And Rachel, if, if you could give just one piece of advice to a new mom, what would it be? Oh my God. I love this question. I think we already kind of touched on it. It's just to get to know the baby in front of you. So that means not listening to an app or a book, not comparing your baby to other babies that you see or other children that you have, not thinking about how things should go and just learning that baby that you have in front of you and trying your best to offer what it is that they need. And that does not mean that you have to be perfect. doesn't mean you're going to get it right every time, probably not even close, but it's just so, so important to kind of honor that little child as a full human and someone who is worthy of respect and connection and having their parent absolutely adore them and also want to just learn more about them and who they are and who they're going to unfold to be. So I know that that sounds like lovely and easier said than done when you have a baby that's like screaming all the time and you have no idea why. And that's why I say like, you're not going to get it right all the time. You don't have to. Sometimes babies are just really hard and really tricky and there's not much we can do other than just kind of like love them and let them know that they're not going to ever have to be alone with those big feelings and that we're always going to do our best to try and figure it out. I love that. Thank you. And Rachel, what resources do you recommend that our listeners look into to learn more about evidence-based baby sleep tips? Obviously, your website, heysleepybaby.com. Is there any other resource that you recommend? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I put so much free content on my Instagram because I really just want this information to be spread far and wide and I want people to get it accessibly. So I would start with my Instagram page, Hey Sleepy Baby. 
and you know do some digging on there. I have tons of free content and highlights. And then if you're interested in more, I do have courses that are geared towards different age groups. I have some workshops on things like night weaning or starting childcare. I have a partner workshop coming up next month. And then I also have guides that are kind of like PDF guides that are for more practical things. My best seller is my crib and floor bed guide. So that's for parents that are looking to stop all the contact napping or stop bed sharing, and they really want their child to be in their own space, but they don't want to sleep train. So that's there too. So cool. Any final thoughts that you want to leave our listeners? I'm just so happy to be here. It's actually very rare that I get asked to talk on a podcast because the sleep training culture is so much more mainstream. And so I just really, really appreciate you kind of giving me a voice on here and letting me share about what I do. And I hope that it resonates with some of your audience. And if it doesn't with others, then that's totally okay too. But I'm just happy to be able to spread some awareness about biologically normal infant sleep and not sleep training being the end all be all that everybody has to do. Well, it is our pleasure having you, Rachel, because like I said, it was just so refreshing finding you on Instagram and following your account and seeing all the information because it really is backed up by evidence. It's not just an opinion-based place where you're going to get, oh, but this is the way to do it because feel good reasons. It's so helpful. So we were just so excited to have you and really learn more about what you do, how you do it, and the reasonings and the, the science behind it all. So thank you for all of this. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. And explain to our listeners, where can they find you, Rachel? Yeah. So like I said, Instagram is the best place to connect with me. I'm at Baby on Instagram. And then I do have a website and that's where you can kind of learn more about me and and my approach. And then we also have one-on-one consultations available there if you're interested in working with us one-on-one. And then all of my products and guides and courses and stuff are also on there too. Oh, that's perfect. Amazing. This was super interesting and really cool, Rachel. I just can't thank you enough again for sharing your tips and your passion with us. It's so evident that you're passionate about caring for babies and their parents. And so I just really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Me too. Oh, wonderful. And for our listeners out there to learn more about Rachel, you can visit her on her website at heysleepybaby.com or on Instagram, as she said, at heysleepybaby. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comments section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to better sleep for parents and their babies.